0: Hello, welcome to the Multitask, this is John Moore. So this week, Ketanji Brown-Jackson had her confirmation hearings become the first black female Supreme Court justice. And she did well, but the Republicans definitely showed their ass. So what was your reaction when you uh, watched this week?
1: Yeah, you know, it was, um, we had predicted this last week, we knew that they were going to do this stuff. They definitely tried to do what they felt. By the way, the, the, the running kind of theme of the week from the Republicans was we're going to do to her what you guys did to Kavanaugh. And the false equivalencies will bother me the entire week. Kavanaugh, Lindsey Graham said the Democrats had uh, accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault. Nobody, no Democrat accused him. He had 20 people that, that, uh, that um, accused him. And then the Democrats were asking questions about it. And the Republicans here were trying to do tit for tat and trying to go after her. Um, And in the opening speeches, they were like, oh, we're not going to treat you. We're going to treat you with respect. We're going to treat you um, like the opposite of what they did to Kavanaugh. But here they are. We knew they were going to do that. But with all that said, I know we'll get into what everybody said. And Cruz checking his own Twitter during it and Graham and everything. we'll get into all that. But I want to take a moment to put a little light on cory booker who i know he went viral for kind of that last day what he said and that kind of speech he did to her and then making her cry and everything like that i watched that live and i i wasn't watching everything live i was basically watching the twitter highlights and when someone interesting was asking questions i tuned in it was like ted cruz lindsey graham and a few select democrats when cory booker spoke and i caught it live I was, I know it sounds crazy. I was proud to be an American and he, he made me tear up and I'm not a black woman and I don't face the same obstacles that a black woman faces, but, um, I was like very proud of that moment and proud that he did that. So that was the biggest takeaway for me is how well she was. I wasn't, that was never in doubt, but the Cory Booker moment, I think is something that's going to last forever. that That's the big viral moment that we had. None of the Republican stuff uh, really stuck. So that was great.
0: Well, it's funny cuz I will be a little uh different on the Craig Booker piece. And I'm going it's going to be two things at once here.
1: Um,
0: I felt that Corey was a little too performative in, in 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 the way he conducted himself. However, 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 however. Um I also think that um it was effective because I would you have to understand, working in my line of work, I see a lot of stuff that makes me really cynical. I see a lot of stuff that I just shake my head. I'm like, oh, that's BS. But then I also watch and see how people react to it or how I react to it. So on the one hand, I was just feeling like he was pointing on a little bit too thick and he was too, he was a little too performative. I also was tearing up every time she teared up. So it, it's funny because I, so I think I'm looking at it through a cynic's eye, and but I, but I'm, but it's still touching me. And I guess the only way I would liken it to is Obama could have given that same speech, but it wouldn't have been as over the top. It seemed like he was, a, I'm just saying, Corey seemed like he was performing Barack could have done that same thing it would not have come off as much as a performance as I felt with Corey. but like I say it was effective it was needed and more importantly the person that it was intended for um was the uh, the was judge Jackson and it resonated with her so that's really all that all that matters you know how I felt about it and it's a performativeness is irrelevant because it definitely tested a lot of people and even like I say as, even though I was shaking my head, being cynical, I was touched by it as well. I may have been more touched by reaction. But, um, you know, I, I think that overall, it, it was it was good for the Democrats. You know, some people feel that the Democrats didn't do enough to protect her, that maybe, you know, Durbin could have shielded her more. But I think you're dealing with a Republican Party that there's really no reigning them in. There was really no reigning them in. And I think it was, you know, it was as good as it's gonna be. I mean, what, what would you take there?
1: I I thought he was fine. He I noticed that every time that the Republicans would say something, either Durbin or the next Democratic speaker would counteract it for her almost preemptively. So I was fine with that. There's there's also some sort of objectiveness that you have to have, right? Durbin's not there. He's technically not supposed to be on judge jackson's side in theory he's supposed to be objective on some level although i thought he showed that her pretty really well and i also just think you you could only do so much right durbin was like nope your time's up move on he was going at Cruz. he was going at graham so as far as i'm concerned that was good as far as cory booker but is it is it still disingenuous if it was performative like it was a performance he knew what no, he was trying no, to get he knew- no yeah it, it was i felt no, it was genuine even ingenuous. though he you're saying it's not genuine, or it is genuine?
0: No, I'm saying it's genuine.
1: Yeah. But you know, like yeah.
0: when, when he's when he's laying it on, like, talking about my boy Tim Scott. Come on now.
1: No, I feel you. You're obviously,
0: but, but,
1: but, you obviously have a different perspective than I do in that. But I just think he knew what he had to do. I think he went in saying, I'm going to nail this thing. And on some level, it was a performance. But at the end of the day, the Republicans were performing too. Ted Cruz being uh, pulling out books and quotes on big signs and stuff. All that stuff was performative. And I think here's – remember we talked about it last week. I want some of the moments that go viral to be majority good and then the occasional Republican kind of um, foolery that goes viral. The biggest moment of this whole week was that exchange between Cory Booker and Judge Jackson, her crying – and him doing that, I saw rappers reposting it. I saw celebrities reposting it, and that stuff it will stick to the mainstream media. That's that's the stuff that's going to linger. Nobody's going to remember the anti-racist baby, whatever that book was. Nobody's going to remember that stuff in a couple of years. But this Cory Booker moment will, will kind of stand out.
0: Well, and I I thought that, and, and you touched on it a little bit, but I thought the fact that they talked so openly about how this was, you know, a lot of way they were treating her. Oh, we respect you, but you treated. Kavanaugh like crap. They treated you know uh, Amy Coney Barrett by you know like crap. I felt that it came off a little, little whiny. I felt that it was you know completely. I think they. I think that they. And we talked about this last week. I do think that they gave the Democratic ad makers a lot of mileage. That they literally you know, expect, you know that they can literally hold it up and say, "Is this what you want? Is this how we really want to do things?" So I do feel that in that regard um you know it 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 was not only was it a, an effective outing for um brown jackson and the democrats it was an ineffective and maybe a potentially embarrassing outing for the republicans and i think that's going to be you know the the thing that that sticks with them and you know part of me wonders and i'm a partisan so i guess i shouldn't complain about this but part of me wonders, have we gotten so damn partisan that are these hearings even um worth it? because no matter what she says, um the Republicans are gonna feel like you know we're not gonna vote for you, and no matter what the Republicans are add her, the Democrats are gonna vote for her, and there's probably very little she could do to make the Democrats not vote for her um it's important it's an important exercise. And I think it was good for us to hear some things and to see some things. But when it comes to these confirmation hearings, are we so partisan that we should just almost skip them? Because there was not one vote for her or one vote against her. Um, And, of course, they've not voted yet. But nobody uh, was swayed to vote against her because of the hearings. And no one was swayed to vote for her because of the hearings. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, they have to happen. But I think that's kind of a sad state of our politics, too.
1: Yeah, that's that's just across the board. That's going to be everything. Voters, there's no there's no reason to campaign. They might as well shorten the campaign schedule. Just announce it a month before, and everybody shows up because there's going to be less swaying. And I remember talking to you about this a year ago. The country is just less purple. It's just there's you're going to pick a side, and there's less convincing of one way or the other, especially if Trump's on the ballot because he's so polarizing. So yeah, I don't think the Republicans came in obviously with a genuine mindset of uh, let's see, because I don't know if you saw this Ben Sassy, I think was saying after he said that woman is extremely, uh, uh, qualified. She's a great American. She's intelligent. Her record speaks for herself, but unfortunately I can't vote for her, which just says party over everything. Right. So we all know that she's qualified. Republicans voted her to get to the level she's at right now in the appeals court. So they know. Lindsey Graham knows. But the way the voter base is set up, they've gone so radical that you ha- you can't vote for her, unfortunately, on their end. So I'm, I expected it. I'm not surprised by that factor at all.
0: Well, here's a question, and this is going to be, it could be controversial, but it's a question that needs to be asked. Um, when you think about the one or two democrats who previously have voted for some of trump's appointees might they actually have more credibility i'm sorry you know than than some of the democrats that don't strictly because you know if we're wanting that that debate that that exchange of ideas is a reliable no vote against republican nominees and a reliable yes vote for democratic nominees and vice versa um, are the are the are the handful the three or four Republicans and Democrats who might vote or not vote for the other party's person? Might they have a little bit more credibility here, strictly because they are maybe coming into it with an open mind? They are. I mean, I'm partisan, right? And if 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 you know if that was a Republican nominee and the Democrats were out there and showed showed their ass, I'd be rah rah rah. Way to go. Way to tell them. And of course, you know Trump is a special bird, so maybe it's the next time there's a Republican president. But you know, I have to look to see which Democrat vote Democrats voted, if any, voted for Trump's nominees. But wouldn't they have maybe a little bit more credibility just because of their ability to put politics aside when it comes to Supreme Court uh, nominees? And I'm not saying that they're making the right choice. I'm just talking about just the whole. Uh, piece that we just kind of bemoaned.
1: Well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't. It's it's the what the Republicans are putting out there is so extreme that I would really question any Democrat that was voting for Kavanaugh. You know what I mean? What they're, they're they're not, as Trump famously said, they're not sending their best. So anybody who votes for Kavanaugh, um, I just looked it up right now and. Susan, all forty-seven Democrats voted against uh, Amy Coney Barrett, just for the record. Um, but she wasn't qualified. She even,
0: have... even even Joe Manchin. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So she, I said all forty-seven. So, but um, yeah, she, but she wasn't qualified. She didn't have an experience, and she clearly wasn't as qualified as uh, Judge Jackson is. So it's interesting. I just don't think. It's easy it's it's easier for Republicans to be like I think it's easier for Republicans to cross because you we're doing stuff that majority of Americans like. The Republicans are doing stuff that a subset of Americans like. So I think it's easier to cross aisles that way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean it just um like I say, um I just I just I want us to I think it's bad, but I also think that at this point in time as we've talked about I also think that you can't help but be partisan at this point, right? It's it's the the environment that we're in, um, and 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 here's a question, you know, is is Democratic part uh, partisanship different than Republican partisanship, strictly because um, we're not being whack jobs, right? And 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 of course, maybe we could be can maybe maybe Republicans might characterize this as. As whack jobs, but uh, you know, I'm I'm excited about seeing what happens when she gets in. Uh, we know that it doesn't change the sway of the court, but as we talked about before, the Republicans do a much better job governing, utilizing the Supreme Court as a political piece. But remember that we're going to 15 years from now when there might when we might have uh, a different makeup of the court. We're gonna that's when it'll really pay off it might not pay off now because we've only got you know three democratic people with um robert sometimes voting with the democrats but it will have a difference you know 10 15 years from now and i think that's the one thing that we have to remember from a long long haul standpoint
1: no this is absolutely a win it, it doesn't give you an extra uh, left-leaning judge but it just secures one at least right because it was not looking great there. And if we lose the House or Senate in 2024, 2022, sorry, um, we might not have been able to fill Breyer's seat if he decided to walk away. So uh and then we'll get into it momentarily, but with your boy Clarence Thomas. Um it's 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 just it's it's the Supreme Court is more and more politicized, and then we we saw two people, John Roberts, come out and say the politicization of the Supreme Court is our biggest fear right now, and he was fighting against it, although he's the reason that it is this way. And then we have Clarence Thomas coming out and saying cancel culture and all this stuff, and we, we see what he's up to. So my, my point is to say, although it's been in the past that Republicans have gotten people to vote for them based on the Supreme Court, uh, I think that's changing, and we're starting to see the Supreme Court be such a wedge issue that I think it could it could benefit us on on some level.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, we are ready to talk about is the whole Clarence Thomas, Jimmy Thomas piece. And, you know, I think and part of me does believe that it, under normal circumstances, Clarence Thomas should be forced to resign, but they were not under normal circumstances. Under Under normal circumstances, we would have a situation where the House could impeach him and the Senate would remove him but we're not under normal circumstances. That being said, I still think, you know, the next two Supreme Court justices to lose are Alito and Thomas. And that's why the Democrats have to hold on because trust me, with Biden gets another, if Biden completes his term and Biden gets another full term, he will definitely be, uh, He the, the court could very easily swing back to a five, four Democratic majority. And, and, and again, I think the thing about Roberts is Roberts is a conservative judge, but he seems like a conservative judge. He's almost like an Adam Kinzinger or, or, or Liz Cheney type. Look, I'm conservative, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to have some values. And, And, you know, like as much as we hate Manton, like you said, and Manton, even he's a liberal, but he tries to have some level of objectivity. And I think Roberts is that so. You know, a lot of people will say, "Hey, we've lost the court for a generation." But you know, Clarence Thomas just got out the hospital. In addition, before he even started talking about what's wrong with his family, Clarence Thomas gave everybody a scare. You don't go into the hospital for a week with an infection unless you're pretty serious. Trust me. My father's had a couple of infections, and it's been really scary. If you're hospitalized for an infection, uh, th- there were some there were some trying moments, intense moments. So I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you, although I I do definitely do not wish death upon anybody. But those seem to be the next two that um, seem to be ready to get replaced. I also, John, we could talk about it, but I personally don't see Kavanaugh as a lifer. I don't think he's there till he's 90. I'm not saying he's retiring in the next two years. I'm just saying he doesn't seem like a lifer to me like the others do on some level. So that's something to keep an eye out. Um, that's why 2024 is important even so much more than 2022, because you need to keep the White House. <laughs> you have to keep the White House in 2024. I have faith in that more, more so than I do in 2022, especially if Trump's on the ballot. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with your assessment there. The, the next two races are, are vital.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they are, and it, 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 it impacts So let's talk about the Jeannie Thomas issue. So for those of you who don't know, Jeannie Thomas is the wife of Clarence Thomas. And she's long been a conservative activist. And people knew and she even acknowledged that some she had some level of involvement in January 6th. Well, it turns out after getting their hands on um uh Mark Meadows' text messages, she had been communicating very, a lot with Meadows and the White House trying to basically uh, you know, get her prongs in and really get them to stand their ground and fight and try to overturn this election. And it came out this week. So what was your reaction when the Jenny Thomas news broke later in the week?
1: Yeah. I mean, I put on my tinfoil hat immediately with you and you were pushing back on me, but I was just trying to say with this, he's in the hospital. He might just, he might wake up and be like, yo. This is my excuse to kind of get out of this mess. I will say something, though, John. I don't believe that Clarence Thomas is in serious legal trouble. But what I do believe is that they can't connect the dots here, right? He voted against. Remember, he, he's the only he's the only Supreme Court uh, judge to vote against giving Mark Meadows text to the January 6th commission. He, If you could link the fact that he knew his wife's texts were in there and he purposely voted against it to protect his wife, that is some sort of trouble. I don't know if it's legal trouble. I don't know if it's worth an impeachment. I really don't. I can't even begin to Mm -hmm. understand the process of impeaching uh, a judge. Right. So my point is he should resign. There's enough here for him to resign. At minimum, there's enough here for him to recuse himself for any single Trump case, from any single January 6th case, from any case involving his wife. And if he doesn't, Democrats should cry foul. I know it's not an issue that's going to get voters. I know is, there's a pandemic that's going to uptick soon enough. Civil rights laws, there's voting rights laws, there's an election coming up. You have to cry foul if he doesn't recuse himself from future cases. That's where I'm at with it right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I've seen that has kind of become a little infuriating, it's some of the people, even the never Trumpers on the right, who have been talking about how, well, she definitely was in the wrong, but this doesn't reflect poorly on him. And, you know, her politics are not his politics. I call BS on that for one reason. Um, When you are the Supreme Court justice, there's a code of ethics, a code of conduct that you need to adhere to. and the fact that when that case came up that he did not recuse himself um that's on him you can't i mean you can't sit there and you can't say oh he shouldn't have you know he shouldn't be held responsible for what his wife has done and that could be true but he is responsible for his own conduct and and any kind of credibility any kind of ethics anything that shows that you take the job seriously would have resulted in him recusing From those cases. So I'm not buying a whole don't blame him. Blame him not for her actions, but blame him for when it came into her actions and the way that his workplace, the way that the the privilege he has as a Supreme Court justice, he did not step uh, back, he did not recuse, and he should completely be blamed for that. So I'm not buying this whole she's not him. And, dude, the other thing that I realized, I was reading some of the text messages. Not only is she corrupt, she's a wet job. She is an absolute whack job. She is not a healthy person. She is not an emotionally, mentally healthy person. If I was a relative, I'd be like, we need to get Jeannie some help.
1: She's in a cult, clearly, right? She's a QAnon kind of conspiracy theorist. That part is clear. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'll say two points to your whole her politics, not his politics. The first point is, I disagree because if you knew that her text messages with, were around with Mark Meadows, if if her stuff was going to get uh, uh, kind of swept into that, and you knew that, and you purposely voted against it, you make it her politics. In order for her politics not to be your politics, you have to recuse yourself from the situation. And he put himself in the middle of the situation. So you automatically are, are guilty with association there. The second part of that is this whole Mark Meadows stuff is after the fact that we know from reporting that she was in close communication with Ron DeSantis. And in those communications with Ron DeSantis, she said something along the lines of, Me and Clarence don't talk about it a lot, but he's down with it or he is part of he agrees with me. She's kind of hinted at it. So there's clearly an objectivity problem here at minimum. I'm not saying we should throw him in jail and stuff like that. But if uh, I don't I hate to play this because we play by different rules. But if this was RBG or Breyer or what have you, or, or if this was eventually Judge Jackson, they would have hearings tomorrow. They would have, and Republicans control the House and Senate, he would be impeached or she would be impeached the next day. So, if by that measure, we should make a big deal out of it, personally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I I just, we, we, I'm speechless, right? And, and and but it's frustrating because we just had the hearings for Katanji uh Brown Jackson. Um I can't see her conducting herself the way that Clarence conducted himself. And if she were in the same situation, put in the same position by her spouse the same way that Jenny Thomas put Clarence in a position, I don't think she'd get away with the same type of behavior. And and as well she shouldn't. Um, and so it just shows how messed up we are and it just shows up how, ooh, this is the thing that sucks though. And we are the party that went ahead and told Al Franken to take a hike, right? But I would hope, despite the stakes, if we had someone who was just as reckless, just as unethical, I would hope that we would hold that person accountable but i mean we're in such a partisan times i don't know if we would and I. but uh, is that also why we lose is that why we lose because if someone were to put themselves in that position we would hold that person accountable the other side would not hold that person accountable and so are we are we automatically again and we talk about this a lot putting ourselves at a disadvantage because we would hold that person accountable
1: No, I I don't believe that because you, you, despite you winning or losing, you always want to play the game the right way, and that's what I think Democrats try to do as much as possible, and and you have to hold your head high on that, even though you might lose elections. The other side of that is there just isn't the same examples, right? If you look at the Republican Party with Matt Gates, who is uh, alleged, but we know for it to be true that he trafficked uh, minors across state borders. Right, uh, MTG who Jewish space loser uh, lasers and anti Semitism and, and conspiracy theories, uh, Lauren Boebert with conspiracy theories and 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 have an arrest record and all this stuff. Um, all these people, there's just no equivalent on the other side. You could bring up Al Franken all you want, but he did something while he wasn't uh, a politician. And we held them accountable. Same with like Anthony Weiner or, 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 or uh, Elliot Spitzer, all these people who we held accountable for what we deem much less uh, offenses. So Cuomo, um, Cuomo. Yeah. Although Cuomo is, is bad, but we still held them accountable b- b- despite it. So my, my point is that there's just no equivalent to conspiracy theories in the democratic party. They just wouldn't get far. Yeah
0: it's 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 crazy so you know one of the things that has been very much in the news and we still have to pay attention is ukraine so this week in ukraine i don't know about you but i'm getting a sense that the tide is turning well first of all i don't know if the tide's even turning or the resistance that has always been there the 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 strength of the ukrainians they're just getting stronger and stronger and it's starting to wear down um you know we had heard and you and i had went back and forth via dm about just you know they're focusing their efforts on working on eastern uh ukraine not western ukraine but then they went ahead and they did three missiles but as someone pointed out those might have just been three missiles because biden was in poland and they just wanted to to to, to distract but i don't know do you feel like the tides it, well i don't know if the tide is turning is the right way because it seems like the russians have always been at a disadvantage even when they had the advantage right so how would you categorize this last week as the tides turning or the 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 ukrainian strength continues to grow what how would you categorize this past week uh
1: it's a good point because you're right i don't think the tides ever turned in favor of the russians i think they've struggled from day one from what i've understood. and again i don't i don't i'm not an expert I, I i'm just learning about all these places uh recently right but From what I understand, Russians are now shifting their focus away from Kyiv and away from their original goals. And they're kind of focused on the areas that they have been able to kind of take control over. And these are smaller territories, less populated territories. And they're trying to paint it as, oh, we wanted these the whole time and these are wins for us. Um, And then even Ukraine's pushing back on that, right? So I wouldn't categorize it as tides turning. I would probably categorize it as... Ukraine is not playing uh, defense as much as they're playing offense now. And maybe that's the, that is a tide turning on some level, but it seems like Ukraine hasn't really lost the, if they had a fourth quarter lead, if they had a lead in the second quarter, they have a lead in halftime. It's just a little bit bigger now. That's how I kind of look at it. This could change on any moment. They could start using biological weapons. And and I know the uh, Lincoln talks about that all the time. And this still is far from over, but it it seems like at least Russia is starting to, maybe lower their goals and lower their ambitions to much smaller uh things, which are still unacceptable and we still have to fight that. But um I don't know. It's going good, at least despite all the uh, all the kind of death and, and carnage that's been happening.
0: Yeah, it's it's um you know, I it'll be fascinating to watch to see how it plays out. Um you know, you're seeing more and more um the Russians do appear to be getting desperate. And I think that's what scares folks, right? Is that I think with the Russians not being as effective, not having the success that they wanted to have, not having the success they plan on having, um, and the Ukrainians being very resistant, there's a lot of fear that um Russia's just gonna go ahead and throw things, you know, you know, just go go ham, so to speak. Now, you know, one of the things that happened this weekend is Biden was in well, he was he was actually in Brussels for the NATO conference and he went to Poland and he spoke in Poland at the at the uh, presidential palace and he gave a speech and he went in. And but, you know, he he talked about how, you know, we he made a comment. I'm not sure what the exact wording but he made a comment that talked about that many people felt uh, implied regime regime change. But. You know he's talking tough, and you have a sit. You know the the world seems to be rallying around it, and it's almost like the world versus Russia, and the and 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 the folks that are not in the world versus Russia's about, with the exception of Belarus, um, most of them aren't taking the Russian side. They're just staying out of it. You know what I mean? It's not like you know China is probably the strongest ally that they can have, and even though China hasn't joined our side, it's just as good if they just stay out of it and they're staying out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think China's going to get in because they see what a colossal failure this was. There is no benefit that uh, comes with that. If if China were to jump in, I, I can only assume, we talked to Eric about this and he kind of said they're scared of the sanctions too. If If China were to jump in, and I, John, I saw Spotify today say we're not we're not gonna be in Russia anymore. Like imagine you're just a fourteen year old kid in Russia and you're just like you can't listen to your playlist anymore. Like I think China would be devastated if it, the sanctions that hit Russia hit China. So I think they're just kinda chill and not get involved at all. Granted, we talked about it with the World War Two, that's what our position was, and four years into it or two years into it, we had to kinda step in and 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 be provoked into it. So I, I agree. It just seems like Russia's just their backs against the wall. They're trying to take what they can get. I'll tell you one thing their their defense minister, their equivalent to the defense minister was talking this week. And he said, the spots that we have control over Ukraine will be there forever. So I think they're, they're in it for the long haul. I just don't know what that means. Cause we were in Afghanistan for 20 years and, and we ended up leaving in a hurry too. So I hope that's not this situation, but uh, it looks like, yeah, I, in a good I, I, I,
0: I I I think the losses, though, that Russia's taking, um, and, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of people are saying that some of these estimates are high, but even if they're just a fraction of what they are, it's still devastating for Russia when you think about uh, what the losses are. So I say that all to say um, I don't see how this is a long-term situation because Russia just can't afford that. Russia can't afford to continue losing folks. And I mean, the, the Ukrainian people are pissed. And 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 I mean we you remember how we saw early on peace negotiations? I think you're gonna have a situation where Ukraine's gonna where Russia's gonna be like, Uncle. I don't think Ukraine's the one saying uncle. I think it's gonna be Russia saying uncle. did you see that story about how there was this one, I'm not sure what his rank was, so we'll just use the generic term commander, but there was this one Russian commander who actually had his own uh, soldier run him over with a tank because he was pissed about what was going on. That was mutiny. They're doing mutiny. mutiny. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can't even recall, you know, in modern history, have we ever had our soldiers, mut- you know, mutiny against a commander? You know this is this isn't good. So I'm thinking that you might have a situation within the next month where it's Russia screaming uncle, and they're going to be looking for some face saving thing. Problem is, is Putin is probably he is going to have a hard time doing anything that doesn't allow him to look victorious. So
1: not not only victorious, but let's say he somehow miraculously decides. I'm stopping it tomorrow. I asked this question to Eric, basically. If he just takes his loss and goes home, the world's not going to welcome him back on the world stage. He's still going to have these sanctions and everything like that. So there's almost no way out for him. It's almost as if it's beneficial for him to continue to push forward. And like you said, if, if they're crying, uncle, what stops them from using a nuclear weapon or biological warfare and stuff like that and really ratcheting it up? Um, what if they... What if they try to invade another country, and that's a NATO country, and USA has to step in? It's just so many different angles. But I do agree. I I, I think that Russia has no choice but to take it out It's just matter if they're going to do it or not.
0: Yeah. Um, look, um, it's 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 amazing what the Ukrainian people have done. I'm watching more and more videos. It's also heartbreaking watching some of the stuff that has been happening the last thing i'll say before you get off of ukraine uh if you've not seen it yet the new york times and i think vice may have it too but the new york times has a video where they intercepted uh russian radio transmissions and evidently that's one of the things that has been really screwing the russians is that they're not using encrypted encrypted uh messaging uh systems so um people and i'm sure if the new york times can get it the, the, the <laughs> if the New York Times can get it, the FBI, the CIA, you know, American national security intelligence folks to have it. Ukrainian people have it, and so there, it's essentially this, the one way that the the uh, Russians either lost or are having a problem in one place is because the Ukrainians are listening into what they're doing. They know what's going on. They know what's happening. So um, <laughs> you know. Uh, did you did you see the video I'm talking about? The, the, no, I didn't. Uh, definitely sent it to me. Yeah.
1: Send it to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, God, I don't amazing.
1: know if you know this. It was kind of it came out today, but just to put it on a, on a world spotlight. But I guess there, the Oscars are tomorrow. We're recording this on Saturday. The Oscars are tomorrow. The day, But if you're listening to us, the Oscars are yesterday. Um, there it, there might be a, a moment where either Zelensky speaks or there's a video, or there might be an honorary Ukraine thing. Um, that might put it on the global stage as well. So uh, we'll see if that ends up becoming true.
0: Right, and then Sean Penn made, made threats. If not, he's going to burn his He's going he's to melt his time. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that's going to be domestic, and, you know, you, you sent it to me via DM. I saw it earlier today. Um, and I don't. we still don't know the details, but on Monday, I believe, the day that this thing airs, uh, the Biden administration is going to go ahead and propose a billionaire's tax. Um, you know uh it's funny because let me see if i can find it while we're talking um you know the problem the problem with the with some of our sources is that some of our great tweeters are not necessarily credible uh uh, uh journalists and they're right in, in the overall calling out because everyone's talking about it but the details so from the washington post the white house will unveil a new minimum tax targeting billionaires as much as part of his 2023 budget Monday proposing a direct tax on the richest 700 Americans for the first time um let's see it would create a 20 percent minimum rate on income above 100 million now you know people are going to cry poor raising your taxes and I'm not sure what type of ways they can block people from um you know dodging the tax but what was your reaction when you saw that that we have this new billionaires tax that is only a proposal and the question would be it's only going to be people who have a, over $100 million a year so I really want to hear from the, the handful of legislators, members of Congress and the members of the Senate who are going to try to say no we can't do that to billionaires so what is your take sir?
1: Well Manchin is definitely going to say that but um, just to talk about this thing I'm, I'm team eat the rich <laughs> Look, I don't think that we should punish people for being successful in a capitalist society, but people have to pay their fair share. I know Elon Musk is famous for his kind of anti-establishment tweets and stuff like that. He once said, I paid over $500 million or $600 million in taxes on a particular year, and it seemed like a lot. Everybody was like, oh, he's paying a lot of taxes, but it was only 3% of his actual um net worth, right? So it was only 3% of his income. So it was like, if I'm getting taxed 25, 30% of my income, why shouldn't you be as well? So this seems like a win-win across the board, but my I'm gonna, question I'm going to pose to you is going to be, how does this work? Is this something that uh, the, the budget has to get passed by the House and Senate? Is this something that, can you explain that process?
0: Yeah. Well, so this is the budget. And I think the budget's usually, I'm not sure what the fiscal year for the federal government is with the fiscal year for the state of illinois is july 1st through june 30th right so a 2023 budget for the state of illinois doesn't start in 2023 the 2023 budget in illinois will start on july 1st that's the first thing you should understand um so or it, it might be july i think it's july 1st not june 30th yeah i have to check but um nonetheless it starts you know half year um and on the federal level i'm not sure what the fiscal year is but you have a budget and the budget's proposed and you know it's not um the the tax itself is just one component of it everything within the budget um there's overall um like an omnibus bill that's got a lot of stuff but all the elements are amendments or what have you so they've got to get it through committee they've got to go ahead and it's got to pass the house it's got to pass the senate um it is an election year so it's going to be i think even republicans may have a hard time saying that um forty seven hundred people um you know they you know they don't deserve to pay more um and you know one of the one of the biggest arguments is when you think about it the people who make seven hundred that 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 are billionaires that you know the seven hundred richest people let's just let's just assume that Elon Musk is part of that. Is he really man is he really a self made millionaire? Um through, I think he was pay, was was pay, was PayPal where he first made his money before Tesla was it, PayPal.
1: Um, I don't. I'm not actually sure to be honest.
0: Okay, well, well, look at Jeff Bezos. Okay, we'll use him. Um, think about the amount of public resources, taxpayer funded resources, were utilized for them to make their money. The uh, neither Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos created the internet. The internet was is something that the government. You know created um and so the roads that they have to use to move their products, you think about when 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 you think about the amount- which it takes to be a billionaire, the amount of taxpayer money that went to helping you make me make your billions right um and 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 so you know think about professional sports. Well, most of your st- significant number of stadiums have received some level of, of public funding for their stadiums, right? Um, I forget which city it was. I think it was Vegas. Was some, no, not Vegas, but some city put up a shit ton of money uh, to help you know build a new stadium. Uh, so they're going to have a hard time. These billionaires are going to have a hard time defending it, but there will, there will be members of Congress who will go ahead and say, no, we can't. We can't charge them this money. They're just going to take their business elsewhere. But I think that that's going to be a losing message for people. And that's going to be something that even if it doesn't pass, the Democrats can run on it. And this is what I I think to your point about the eat the rich. I don't know if the billionaire's tax will pass, but the billionaire's tax is definitely something Democrats can run on. It's an election year. and, And whether or not we actually pass the billionaire's tax is one thing. But it is definitely an issue that Democrats can get wholeheartedly behind and run on and let any Republican to resist it make them pay.
1: I couldn't agree with you more even if you if you continue to campaign on it and and, and stuff like that. I think it's effective because republicans they say Republican voters say you know. Uh, that the lead in the coastal elites and all this stuff. And, and so they can oh. might get behind it too, although they tend to continue to vote Republican. I don't know about Musk's history as much. I do know that he was failing at Tesla and he got a government subsidy that saved his business and then is the only reason that he is here today. And so he needs to step up, right? And all these other guys need to step up and pay their fair share. This affects 700 people. Like if this were to pass, it affects 700 people and it benefits the entire country. I, I don't see how this is a thing that we can't pass. I just don't. I I feel like Manchin maybe instead of maybe, but we'll see. But this feels like a no brainer to me. The, the whole country wants it on some level, I believe.
0: And I got good news for Trump. You won't, your taxes won't go up, son. You know what? Because Trump, you ain't making that much money. So the funny thing is, it, we're talking about a hundred million in revenue. We're talking about the richest seven hundred people. The good news is Trump. For Trump, the good news for you, Trump, is you will not see your taxes go up because you will not be eligible. You you don't make enough money for your taxes to go up. That's all I'm saying.
1: Um,
0: now, but being less facetious, I I did look it up. So Elon Musk made his money through PayPal. Uh, he sold. Um, uh, let's see, PayPal bought. Uh, or I'm sorry, eBay bought PayPal for 1.5 billion in 2002, and at the time, after all of the expenditures and everything else, investors, Elon Musk walked away with 180 million dollars out of that. So, so the thing is, is that, um, you know, when you're making your money on the internet, the internet was not created in, in Elon Musk's basement. It was created, you know, the government created the internet, and so when you think about all the, like you said, Tesla. You think all of these guys that are doing SpaceX or whatever everybody's doing, um, that even though they're helping out NASA, they're helping out NASA, but they're helping out NASA with you know funds that they actually got from NASA. So that's that's another thing to consider.
1: Well, not only that, but just the non-union minimum less than minimum wage jobs that bezos and musk and all these people build their companies on the factories overseas the tax breaks all the stuff that they build on american backs and then they don't give back it's not just the the roads and everything john it's it's bezos is underpaying amazon workers making them pee in bottles next to their desks and then he's going to sit there and say i'm not going to pay taxes it's ridiculous so it's it's a big picture to me this seems like an easy easy a call. I, I well, have you obviously just came out today, but I wonder if this is something that's going to pass or something that they just want and, and might not be able to pass.
0: Who knows? But, you know, uh, there's a few other things going on there. Speaking of, I'm going to get away from a billionaire's tax. Another thing happened this week is the letter, the resignation letters came out um, from the two prosecutors that resigned from the New York District Attorney's Office because um, the the investigation into Trump had stalled. One of the things that I noticed, I think we don't talk enough about is, people thought it was really dramatic for the two prosecutors to resign. But here's something, those two prosecutors were not, are not staff in the, the district attorney's office. They were brought in specially to prosecute this case. Well, the question is, is if the case is in fact stalled, don't they have I mean their only other option is to resign. It's not like they are staff prosecutors who would this case get stalled and they could move on to a murder case, right? That was what they they only have one sole objective once one one thing they had to do in that office and that was to go ahead and that was to prosecute this particular case. Am I correct or am I wrong in that assessment?
1: Yeah, I think you're right and I think that um I don't know how politics works but they there was a new DA that was elected in or how did do you you know that part of it?
0: Alvin Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg.
1: So there was a new DA that was elected that the, the person prior to him was kind of dead set on prosecuting this case. And this guy walked in and said, yeah, we're not doing it. Even though the prosecutors feel like he definitely has a case from what I understand here, John, it seems like a clear cut idea of, The DA thinks there's a case here that we're not going to win and I'm not going to spend years and money doing it, knowing that it's just going to take years and money and we're probably not going to get what we want anyways. That's what the vibe I'm reading. And that's why the prosecutors were like, well, we can't do this. We have to prosecute this case. He definitely committed crimes. And the DA is just like, you probably just don't have enough to convict him. And and that's what it seems. Is that the vibe you're you're getting?
0: Yeah, but I also, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where I also don't know, does the letter coming out and some public pressure allow for that case to go out? And does the case having been stalled, um, does it make it hard to revive, right? Meaning, you know, since we know what happened or since we're seeing these letters, if all of a sudden there was a lot of public pressure on on the district attorney to go ahead and prosecute, does he go into that prosecution with strength or does the defense say, well, you know, you initially said that there was nothing there or you didn't see a viable case. How dare you go ahead and prosecute? I'd love to know that. I'd love to know whether or not that is how how that plays out.
1: Yeah. Um, What do you think? I know we just we just said we, we, we don't know how it plays out, but what do you think happens here? I guess the statement after they resigned was basically we have people working on this. We're trying to gather evidence. It seems like this is just going to get shelved. Is that the assessment you think is going to happen or what do you think?
0: Well, there's something that's going on. Well, not even something we all know what's going on, but there's, it's going to be impossible for, or or untenable, I should say for Alvin Bragg and the New York prosecutor's office to ultimately go ahead and just say, this case is closed. So like i say i'd love to know from an attorney um does the public pressure that may lead to reviving the case does the fact that the case actually had been um closed does that undermine it or does that not have any negative impact that's that's what i'd really really like to know you know yeah um that that's where is... I'm at, so
1: and this is different than the Southern districts case about kind of taxes and stuff like that. So this is a completely different thing, just so everybody understands.
0: So this week uh, there was three uh, moves in Congress that I think are, are to be paid attention to. And I think I told you, uh, what one of my philosophy was, so let me break it down. So last week um Don Young, who's the longest serving uh, member of Congress, who's a Republican from Alaska, died. And then um, a couple of days, and so what that did is until they have a special election to replace Young, the Democrats pick up one more vote. Now, how they pick up one more vote, they didn't add anyone to their caucus, but that meant the Republicans are down one more vote. So that that pads that their margin. But then right a couple of days later, um, and I'm not sure if it was before or after the conviction, um, and I forget the gentleman's name, but a, a Democratic congressman out of Texas went ahead and announced that he was resigning. He had already announced that he was not running for re-election, but he announced that he was resigning. Now, what that did is that did not put the Democrats at a disadvantage, but what it did was it minimized whatever advantage they were going to get in the short term with Young's death. But then it turns out that. Um, Congressman Fortenberg, I believe out of Nebraska, was convicted. And as of the, the day that we record this, he finally announced that he's resigning for Congress. So the Democrats are back up one more vote. Now, granted, if the dude from Texas had resigned, they would be up two votes. But none, And of course, one of the things you put in the show prep, one of the people talking about running for Don Young's seat is Sarah Palin. Uh, but none, nonetheless, um, you know, that's the fascinating thing is because of uh the day job i pay close attention to these numbers but um with these narrow margins just one or two people being there or not being there can make a world of difference
1: are you surprised that he resigned
0: um i didn't even know enough i you know the first time i heard the guy's name was the day he resigned right so i'm not going to sit there and act like i'm some expert on dude other than the fact you know, the minute, first I saw someone's resigning and I immediately went in and I Googled who he was. As was always a Democrat, I'm like, shit, right? Uh, but- um, No, I meant the know,
1: Republican who was found guilty.
0: Oh, no, because um, it's kind look, you're trying to, he's just trying to stay out of jail. And if he's going to have any kind of uh, opportunity for an appeal, if he's going to have any kind of chance at a reduced sentence- He's got to start showing contrition. He cannot be Jesse Smollett, right? You know, now granted Smollett got bailed out, but, you know, at some point in time, he's got to start giving stuff up, you know. You know, he wants to minimize his exposure, but yeah, um, uh, you know, it's tough, but especially in an election year, didn't we read, I forget where it was, um, in one of the districts, I'm not sure if I shared this with you, I think, in the short term, some Republican might have the advantage in one of these districts, but because the way that the district is being redrawn, the person may win the, the a special election, but then is at a disadvantage in the in the short term. So, like, so, I mean, and you know, one of the things you put in a note is you know there's still some craziness going on in Wisconsin. Uh, a lot of maps are still being settled, and I you know. Democrats are still doing good, but wow! First of all, as someone who is rather new to this whole process, um, the question I have for you is: How do you react to all the stuff that really never gets the big headlines? But the more you like dive into politics and go maybe down the rabbit holes of politics and governing, what has probably been the most fascinating thing to you? I mean, especially in the redistricting year, what 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 are you what what have you found to be the most interesting thing so far?
1: Well, it's it's the inside baseball aspect of it. Like I follow sports closely, so I see what scouts go through. I see that Jerry Kraus goes to Yugoslavia and 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 Serbia, tries to scout Tony Kukoc, all these other things. Like I I know what people go through and and in the inside of baseball that happens. So it just translates over for me all these fights, redistricting fights, legal fights, Supreme Court fights were happening the entire time. I just don't think anybody understands it. And I almost think, and we know from Chicago politics, sometimes you challenge things just for the sake of challenging, just because that's how the game is played. Um, I just like this year, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this go around, it seems like Democrats have been much more aggressive than they have in the past. I know Democrats have had a position of we should stop gerrymandering. It's it's bad. Boom, boom, boom. And now it just seems like they're just not just getting bullied into into doing whatever the Republicans want. So, do you think that's been accurate so far this cycle? No. Well,
0: so I think the problem that we have is that in the the press that covers politics is there is subjectivity. There's people who do some hard news reporting, but too much of even even some of the best local reporters are really invested in the horse race are really invested in the drama really invested in the headline and i think that that's kind of the problem with the way politics are covered that also speaks to while some of our bigger issues that have to be settled through politics and governing are not the challenge that we have in trying to settle them um is 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 that we're dealing with stuff that automatically becomes political automatically is covered from the standpoint of what's going to get the most clicks on the internet what's going to sell the most paper what's going to get the most eyes on tv and i just really think that you know and i I know i may be a little bit off on my answer but i i just think that the whole political process right now um it's important it's what i do for a living but i just wonder how many of our problems would be would we how much would we be much better off not only as a country but as a world if we were to you know maybe remove some politics and i say that it sounds weird coming from someone who makes their living in politics but i just wonder if that if we need to depoliticize some of this stuff
1: do you have optimism that we're like it's trending the other way and so i wonder if it's do you find it You've been in politics a long time. Is it cyclical like this? Is it the coming of going of, of kind of extremism? Or do you find that there's a pivot point. 2022, 2024, if we're able to hold off Trump and win, get some momentum going, get some things going, then we could take control over the future of the country? Or do you find that if Trump maybe wins in 2024, then we're back to square one? How How do you kind of assess that?
0: Well, I have a fear and my fear is that, well, it's a fear and an optimism. And, and what what I'm optimistic about also, there's a, a wall of fear in front of it is I'm optimistic that things are going to change, but I'm also fearful that they're going to change because there will have been an incident a January 6th, for instance, or something that is going to shake our systems and require us to get better. And it's funny because, you know, sometimes you're going through something and when you're going through something. It's a little less obvious, you know, and it's and it's not just like one event. Um, but I do think that things will get better, but because they've gotten worse, you know. I, I was listening to some, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast or an interview, and someone was talking about how realistically, um, the U.S. is headed for, if not already in, a civil war, but it's not going to be the civil war that we think it would be. It's not necessarily going to be a you know North versus South it's not going to be armies. it's going to be ideologically you know and and in some cases, we may even be in a civil war. That being said, I do think that we're going to actually once we get improvement once we get things, it's really going be because it's going to be because lines have been crossed or presidents of presidents have been set, and maybe those lines have already been crossed through to Trump years through January sixth but just the interrogation and prosecution of January 6th, um, I think it's going to be satisfying, but I wonder if there's not going to be a lot of stuff that's just going to be totally hard for us to come with and, and, and deal with. You know, I I forget, they were talking to some member of, uh, of Congress, and they said, you know, you've seen a lot, you know a lot, um, you know, and you it's part and the person was on the January 6th commission. And they said, when this stuff comes out, Um, or or I know what the question was. The question was, you were in the Capitol on January 6th. Are you learning stuff as part of your work with the January 6th commission that even though you were in a front row seat, that you still, you're shocked to find out, even though you thought you saw the worst and that person said yes. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, I know I just gave a bunch of word salad. I think this is the second week in a row I've given word salad. But uh, have I given you any kind of answer there or, or, or what, what, what's, your, what's your reaction?
1: No, I I think you did. Sometimes it's it's the actual crisis of the moment that pushes us to change. And, and that's a good way of looking at it. January 6th is a critical moment in our history. It's either we're going to learn from that or not. And I think that's why the Garland situation is interesting because I think people have lost faith. I don't think anybody believes Trump is going to do time for January 6th. We'll see, right? The jury's still out. But your answer is is potent, right? They're just me a be a moment a constitutional crisis that kind of pushes us one way or the other. I just hope it's the right way.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you know we're coming up on an hour, so for now I think we have to sign off for so. For now, this is Dan signing off.
1: This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us. Oh.